Conversations That Matter podcast. For those of you waiting, I need to say this up front, for a copy of Christianity and Social Justice, Religions and Conflict, an autographed copy, I did get word this afternoon that I'm supposed to be receiving a shipment of, of about 500 tonight and another 500 later in the week, so I should be shipping those out this week. In fact, if you're a patron, I said if you're a patron, $10 a month uh, or more, you're going to get you know a signed copy of this or you'll have the opportunity to get one. And uh, so if you see an update from me tomorrow, um, it's because I got the shipment in and uh, the update will have the coupon code for you to enter in so you can get your free copy. But um, I was supposed to to get this shipment about 8 p.m. It is after 9 p.m. right now. And I know uh, just from the last few months, especially, but even really the last year, but the last few months, especially um, shipments have been a little bit late. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see if it comes in. I thought I was supposed to get uh, my first shipment on the 10th. So this was a pleasant surprise when I found out that it's supposed to be today. But all that to say, uh, hopefully you'll be getting your copy if you ordered an autograph copy from me. Uh, sooner than you would have otherwise. Uh, so just wanted to put that out there for those of you who are waiting for that, give you a little update. And for uh, patrons who um, have had a number of questions about, hey, where do I go to get my free book? You, you will have a place to go. I just have to actually receive the books and then I will post um, a coupon code for you to enter on the website at christianityandsocialjustice.com. So uh, now that that's out of the way, uh, I'll just I'll, I'll give you a little update about myself before we get into the topic, which is a book called Winsome Conviction. Um, I've been working a lot at um, the house. It, it's been a lot more than I thought that it was going to be, uh, the, the house that we're moving into. And uh, I thought it would take me a few weeks, and that's turned into now over a month and just finding out all kinds of problems I didn't know I had. Um, but you know what? It, it's good because now... Um, now I I feel like I'm moving into a house that I can really have some confidence in. <laughs> Nothing's going to break on me. I've already re replaced everything that could break. So um, I'm I'm trying to do my best to um, put podcasts out there, but something has to give uh, between getting the books out there and working on my house and um, getting ready for uh, traveling and conferences and things like that. And there's a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, I'm I'm scaling down just a little bit this week, maybe next week, uh, on on the podcast. So though there will still be podcasts coming out, there just might not be as many. I usually put about five or six out there a week, so it might be three or four. Um, I'm gonna try for five. We'll 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 do our best. We'll see what we can do. But just want to let everyone know that. Thank you, by the way, for those who are praying for me, and just a lot of busyness right now. So I appreciate that uh, very much. And um, so wanted to say that up front uh, before we get to the topic, which is a book called Winsome Conviction. Um, I should preface this with uh, just a little bit of the reason I'm doing this, because um, this, this is related somewhat to crew. So I'm going to blow this up so everyone can see here uh, what we're all looking at. Um, those of you who know about what's going on in crew, uh, formerly Campus Crusade, the... Uh, the board of directors, the well, I, I should say not just the board of directors, but the those at the top. I'll just put it. I'll, I'll leave it a little bit vague. But those at the top who are controlling crew don't seem to want to take a firm stand on the social justice movement, critical race theory. They don't want to apologize for anything that's happened in the past. Maybe at uh, multiple um, multiple conferences, student and st staff conferences for crew, uh, which have been chocked full of CRT. Uh, they don't want to, they, they really want to please both sides. And this is what I, a point I've been making 
for a while. And so um, those of you who've been paying attention to everything going on, the concern group, the reaction to that concern group, uh, issues they had with some of the stuff going on, and just really the failure in leadership, um, you know that crew is probably not the best place to park your money. I was, however, someone did reach out to me from, and I should probably look it up as I'm doing this because I, I don't want to get this wrong if I can find it. Someone did reach out uh, to uh, to me from a crew entity or ministry. There's there's multiple ministries within crew, for those who don't know. And it's called the Think Institute. And it seems like it's a very small part of crew. Uh, I had never heard of the Think Institute, but I, I think it was the director who reached out to me and just said, hey, by the way, I want to let you know there is one part of crew, even if it's a small little ministry that isn't on the woke train. So I want to let you all know that. Um, I don't know exactly what that, for me, it doesn't change much as far as what I'm telling you, which is I would really uh, urge you to contact the crew missionaries you support. If you do support crew missionaries, talk to them about what they're seeing, um, maybe encourage them to find another ministry that they can get involved with if possible. Uh, if not, then you know you, you make the decision whether you want to give uh, to, to them or not, or how you want to give to them. Um, I would not give to crew in general. I wouldn't just give to crew. Uh, because so much of that money is being managed by uh, people who are, at the very least, are not willing to take a stand, uh, and at the worst, are totally woke. So, and in fact, I just got some more horror stories. I, I get them honestly very regularly. Uh, last uh, few days, I, I got an email from someone that just it, horrible things, horrible things, just like as woke as you can get, kind of stuff, and uh, that's. Certainly, I, I'm not, no stranger to that. I've, I've had so many people reach out to me with horror stories from different uh, organizations or ministries within crew. I would urge you to do this if you haven't done it. Uh, and if you have the time, if you're able to do it, give them an, shoot them an email. Um, you can go to give.crew.org and find the email address there. You can call them at their customer service number. It's 1-888-278-7233. Uh, and push option 1. It's one 278 Seven two three eight three three. You can call that number, and you can uh, you basically encourage them. Like, look, I'm not going to give to this ministry unless you take a stand on the social justice movement, and that would include retracting or apologizing for some of the things that have happened at staff conferences. At least admitting that uh, crew that the organization was going down a bad path. Um, so th th this is what I think these ministries understand. They understand the dollar. Sometimes they don't understand a whole lot else. So I want to encourage you, uh, maybe reach out to them through email or through your, the phone, or if you want a mail letter, 100 Lake Hart Drive, Orlando, Florida, 32832. So that's all up on the screen. You can uh, contact crew that way if you want to uh, voice your concern and encourage them to do the right thing. Um, that that would be the way to do it. And so I wanted to, there, there was a crew missionary, I'll, I'll just be honest, a crew missionary reached out and said that this may help. So I thought, you know what, I will, I'll, I'll pass it on. If, if the crew missionary uh, thinks it'll help, maybe it will. But um, in my opinion, crew has been going down a very bad path. Now here is uh, a, uh, a post, and this is part of the reason I'm doing a review of Winsome Conviction from Mark Rudder to the U.S. Directors Forum of Crew, and he, Mark Rudder is the Director of Leadership Development and HR at Crew, and he recommends this book, Winsome Conviction. So I want to let you know about this because what we've seen, not just in Crew, but other ministries, is this tendency to want to play both sides. 
Uh, we're against critical race theory. Of course we're against it. Why would you even ask? Of course we are. But we also believe in some version of white privilege and systemic racism and making amends for it in some kind of a redistributive scheme, whether that's privilege or money or something. And so they start bringing in all the social justice stuff, critical race theory stuff, even though they're saying they're against critical race theory. This is what we've seen over and over and over for the past now, really two years we've been seeing this. And crew, I think this is their modus operandi at this point for the the leaders in the movement, the direct, the, 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 uh, the strategy has gone out there. The, the, they're all deciding basically that what they're going to do is they're going to try to make both sides happy. And this is one of the ways I think that some of them are trying to do that. So Mark Rutter posts this. I wanted to give you an update on a developmental opportunity that our U.S. field team, along with the campus ministry executive team, engaged in yesterday. We attended a one-day seminar with Tim Mulhoff and Richard Langer, authors of the book Winsome Conviction, Disagreeing Without Dividing the Church. We spent the morning interacting on key principles from their work that will help us grow in our ability to have effective communication and conversations. In the afternoon, we processed as a team and practiced having our own significant conversation. There were lots of takeaways, but several that stood out to me were the importance of differentiating between core biblical convictions and secondary issues, the practice of devotionally preparing our hearts for the conversation, cultivating several new skills, the posture necessary to better understand and have compassion for those to whom we may disagree. Overall, I was challenged to avoid the dangers of groupthink and grow my ability to pursue unity as I navigate differences by speaking with both truth and love. It was a powerful day that gave me hope for our future. Okay, and that sounds very nice. Um, in fact, a lot of those things aren't really that bad. I mean, uh, being able to differentiate between uh, core biblical convictions and secondary issues, I mean, that's very important. Uh, this is, you know, Romans uh, 14, the whole Adiaphora stuff. I mean, this is important stuff. Now, what does Winsome Conviction say, though? What is, what's this book about? This is what he's putting out there. This is what he's saying, go get this book. This will help you. Listen up, crew, the people who work for crew. Um, in the U.S. Director's Forum, I want you to know this is a book you can go to. It'll encourage you and it'll help you uh, navigate some things that are going on today. Now, what are some of the things going on? Well, like what's the number one thing dividing crew? Well, it's the critical race theory stuff. It's the social justice stuff. So this is one of the things that is being used. So I want to review it for you a little bit. This isn't going to be comprehensive in every way. I mean, there's there's things that I left out uh, that um, probably I could add, but I, I want it to be as in, engaging and useful to you. So what I've done is I have uh, prepared a slideshow of just uh, quotes from the book. I've organized them and um, I'm going to have, uh, in general, I'm going to have the page numbers and, and everything there and patrons will be able to download this PowerPoint. So if you want to use it, you don't have to cite me. You just go through uh, the PowerPoint, you have the page numbers and you're able to pick out uh, what you want to pick out and what you want to talk about if someone brings up this book to you. So here is the screenshot from Amazon. Winsome Conviction, Disagreeing Without Dividing the Church. This is a popular book. This is a number one bestseller in Christian institutions and organizations right now. And um, interesting, this just tickled me a little bit. Uh, if you look at the paragraphs uh, describing the book, it says, how do we discern between core biblical convictions and secondary issues? How do we cultivate better understanding and compassion for those we disagree with? Molhoff and Langer provide lessons from conflict theory and church history on how to avoid the dangers of groupthink. And, and it goes on. Conflict theory. Now, I'm just thinking, look, look, if you got, you're already 
you know, kind of that stigma of being woke is about you. You don't want to be using the word conflict theory. You don't want to be saying, we're going to give you lessons from conflict theory. I mean, I'll just put it this way. Go Google conflict theory. And um, you, you probably don't even have to Google anything else. You just put conflict theory and Marxism is going to come up. But if you really want to, you know, put in, you know, Marxism conflict theory and Google that uh, or DuckDuckGo it. Better yet, go to a good search engine like DuckDuckGo and see what comes up. Um, not exactly what you want to be associating yourself with, but I do digress. And, and I think conflict theory, you know, perhaps it can be used maybe to apply. Uh, I mean, conflict theory is developed over time, so it's not just Marx, but, you know, Marx did kind of is attributed to, to Marx. Um, just saying. But uh, so the he, here's let's get into the actual book, though. Here's the thesis. OK, or the this is the point of the book. We do not believe that strong convictions cause incivility. We will dispute the claim that convictions are about absolutes. And then the third um, part of this is we do not believe that all Christians will agree on matters of conviction. Let me repeat this for you. This is the core of the book. We do not believe that strong convictions cause incivility. Okay, in other words, you can still be civil and have strong convictions. Okay, and I, I would agree with that to an extent. Um, we will dispute the claim that convictions are about absolutes. Now, this is a little, I mean, I don't know. I mean, some convictions, I mean, convictions in my mind should be based off of an absolute principle somewhere. I mean, that's how I've always thought of a conviction. I mean, it's a very deeply held belief, but um, they're saying they're not about absolutes. Okay, so it's, they're putting it more in the realm of when I first was reading this, I thought, okay, preferences. So preferences, all right. Uh, we do not believe that all Christians will agree on matters of conviction. Okay, well, that that's true. Obviously, Romans... 14 talks about this. So yeah, there's people who uh, have faith to do certain things and people who let, I mean, but that this doesn't touch actual sins that the Bible says are sins. So, um, you know, kind of a mixed bag here. And, and this is kind of, this is what greets you at the beginning of the book. So I wanted to give you a definition. This is the Webster's Dictionary definition of conviction. Essential meaning of conviction. The act of proving that a person is guilty of a crime in a court of law a strong belief or opinion, the feeling of being sure that what you believe or say is true. So there's a groundedness in the idea of conviction. There's a certainty about it. Uh, there, it's, I mean, it's kind of like a very important thing. Your convictions really define you to some extent. So it's not just something, it's, it's not a, a light thing. And, and here, here's the definition, further definition of convictions, if, if you will, uh, from the book winsome conviction. Convictions are firmly held religious or moral beliefs. Um, and of course, you know, I guess, okay, there, this is a book on ministry, so I, I don't, that's okay if you want to keep it within the boundaries of, of religion, but, um, or, or moral beliefs, but they could be even more than that. Anyway, like I, you know, you could have a conviction that gravity is going to work and, uh, you know, that, I don't know. I mean, you could have convictions that aren't, in those those categories, but let's let's just accept this. So these break up into two categories: confessional beliefs, and then guidelines. And I give you the page numbers for finding all of this. There's there's two. So so convictions are firmly held religious or moral beliefs, according to these authors. And there are two categories: confessional beliefs and guidelines. So confessional beliefs would be more like absolutes, right? We're, that's what we'd be talking about. More like absolutes things that you can't negotiate. Guidelines, you know, that sounds, that's that's pretty, uh, I don't know, flimsy in my mind. Guidelines are just, you know, maybe there's a principle somewhere, but it's it's more like 
you know, helpful tips. You know, that's what I think of when I think of a guideline. Uh, what's that line or even from Pirates of the Caribbean uh, where Jack Sparrow, the pirate, right, says, you know, it's not it's not a law. It's more like a guideline. You know, it's kind of that's how we think of guidelines. So I, I really when I see the word guideline, I think, OK, this is optional. Um, so you have confessional beliefs, not optional guidelines, optional. So that's it's kind of loose definitions in my mind. But OK, let's go with it. So um, I'm not sure if this is the next slide I wanted. Let's see here. Let's go to this side first. Convictions, so there's certain convictions that are not absolutes. Uh, here are some examples of them. There are many possible ways to help the poor. That's a good example they give of a conviction that's not an absolute. Uh, we might weigh values differently in the case of Syrian refugees and Central Americans crossing our southern border. So, and, and you'll see in a second, what they're saying is that, look, socialism, yeah, that's not really an absolute. You Capitalism, socialism, free market, government controlling things. I mean, that, that that's that's fine. You can disagree with about that, and it's not an absolute. That's more in the, the realm of guidelines. Um, Syrian refugees uh, and Central Americans crossing the southern border. You know, that's really just more of a preference thing. It's more of a, that's a guideline thing. That's not an absolute thing. So Christians should be able to just kind of disagree with that and be part of the same church and be, you know, and, and be at peace with one another. And, and there shouldn't be cause for dividing over things like this. So I'm just giving you, these are some of the examples. There's more examples, but I'm giving you some some of them, and especially as they pertain to social justice and relate specifically to maybe some of the things Cruz dealing with right now. Speaking of social justice, okay, so here's what everyone's, this is what people who are listening to this podcast probably want to know about more than anything else. Let me give you some quotes about social justice. And you're going to find out that this, this book, um, I'll just give you kind of my basic analysis here before we get into it. So you kind of have categories for understanding what I'm about to say. The book is, you, you could title it, Let's Just Get Along. It's really the intent behind this book. And there are some good things in it, but I think the overall intent is to navigate, especially the social justice issue. There's other issues talked about, but I think it's especially about navigating that issue. You look at the time in which it's published and what's going on and the exam many of the examples given and trying to, sh to really soft pedal, especially if you read the book, especially left-leaning tendencies that Christians have, that these aren't really that important. These aren't, and, and if you make, and, and you're the problem if you're going to make a big deal about these things. That's, that's really wh where I'm seeing this whole thing go. Now, let me, let me give you examples of it now. Whether or not social justice should be used in evangelism is something determined by the group to which you belong. And in the book, things that are determined by the group to which you belong, kind of a group think mentality, that, that kind of, that, that you're supposed to be aware of that if you're in group think. That's something to kind of try to transcend. That's something that, you know, that, that's not really necessarily legitimate if you're thinking something just because the group you're in thinks it. So whether or not social justice should be used in evangelism, you know, that's something that um, that's more determined by the group to which you belong. So it's not it, it it's not something that uh, necessarily touches a core conviction. It's not something it's it's it, it's really putting it into and, and they don't use this language, but the sense you get is into sort of more secondary. It's a secondary thing, whether or not social justice should be used in evangelism. You can come together with Christians who use social justice and evangelism. That's just the group they're part of. That's just kind of how they think. Um, it, it doesn't really mean that there's like a, an absolute thing going on here that, 
might they might be contradicting like a confessional belief as long as they're within you know confessional belief that's just part of the group they're in and you might be in a different group so these are group preferences page 92 says this there are such people as conservative southern baptist feminists right so um <laughs> you can be conservative and a feminist at the same time and a southern baptist apparently well this just causes confusion this that's all this does would would uh you know, secular feminists, could, would they receive someone who says they're a conservative Southern Baptist feminist? I mean, this is someone who's labeling themselves, but this is someone who wants to to play around with categories and isn't really being honest with what these categories mean or the originators of these categories and what they meant. Um, even if you want to go back to 1848 and the Seneca Falls, you know, go read that. Uh, people usually say, oh, you know, third wave, second wave, maybe, you know, maybe second wave, but third wave feminism, that's the bad one. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> First, second, third, they're all kind of anti-Christian. Um, you don't really have conservative Southern Baptist feminists. It's kind of an oxymoron. But uh, the, this is there's a tendency in this to kind of just let people label themselves. It's very, it's a little man-centered. I'm going to explain that a little more later. But but I'm just trying to show you that this this the, the authors have a really soft side when it comes to social justice. Trayvon Martin, and it should be Martin, not Mart. Trayvon Martin. Uh, in George Zimmerman, the uh, Trayvon Martin and George Zimmerman situation was used an as an example of groupthink on both sides. So this is not exactly true, though. Um, those who were trying to look at the facts of the case and judge it uh, legally and correctly, um, who did not believe George Zimmerman was guilty, many of them, they, it wasn't just because they're part of a groupthink thing. They're not just, oh, well, we're pro-white or we're pro-Hispanic or something, and that's why we think the way we think. That situation was very much, uh, there, there were facts involved. There, were, there was a timeline involved. And um, to just ca say, basically say that, well, you know, both sides just had groupthink going on. Uh, not necessarily. No, not, that's not exactly accurate. John MacArthur failed to take a respectful stance toward another public figure. This is the Beth Moore go home situation. So they criticized John MacArthur for saying Beth Moore go home. That just was failing to be respectful. The powers in the New Testament are compared to a social justice conception of power. And there's a sec whole section on this where, you know, power and social justice and the way that really Foucault's conception of power, they don't say Foucault, but kind of the same thing. You know, that's really what we're looking at here. This... Uh, power that is kind of like the hegemony, you know, it, it just it go, it, it, it affects everything, these power structures. And, and then they use that to say power inequities can, they, they can cause disagreement. And isn't that a bad thing? We got to watch out for those power inequities, but they never really discuss what about hierarchy? What about actually hierarchies that are cre creation norms or things instituted by God? What do you do with that? that that's a power inequity. Here's a quote. And by the way, um, I put location 1888 here, and I so halfway through, I had to switch from page numbers to Kindle location. And the reason for that was uh, I was online using Google Books, to, and, and then I, after so long, they don't let you preview a book anymore. So I had to get the Kindle version, so that's why that's there, for those who are curious. Anyway, the leaders of your church, the book says, or organization are largely responsible for creating ideology. Now, this isn't true either. They're creating ideology, that's their responsibility. Your pastor, they're just, you know, our responsibility is creating ideology. No. Um, how about, I mean, I don't even like to use the term ideology, but let's say this. Uh, their, their responsibility is to rightly divide the word of God, to understand what God has said, and to 
disseminate that to a congregation, to teach everything that Jesus commanded, to make disciples. You're not creating anything. God's already created things. You're, you're discovering truth, perhaps. You're not creating it, though. You're not creating ideology. Um, just Maybe this is just sloppy, but um, th this would be the kind of thing a social justice advocate would say, though, because they're postmodern, and they would look at it that way, that you're, you're manufacturing or creating ideology or ideas that are meant to reinforce, perhaps, a power structure or something like that. In cases of extreme power inequity, civility can be best be understood as a tool of the powerful to silence the disenfranchised. I mean, this sounds straight out of a social justice, secular social justice, critical theory textbook or something. A good illustration of the heavenly wisdom that is open to reason is found in the AND campaign. That's right, the AND campaign. Christianity and social justice started by Democrat activists and Michael Ware, Justin Gibbony, or Gibboni, I'm not sure how you pronounce his name. I think they both blocked me a while ago when I when I used to be on Twitter. I think they blocked me, but uh, which you know they're very open to uh, they're very open to to reason. Um, um, racism and neo-Marxism are both flamethrower words, uh, so so you really should stay away from using these things. Now, interesting because you know racism is a word that social justice advocates like to use, so they're they're saying that, yeah, that's a flamethrower word too. But I, I've heard this many times. That basically, like, stop calling us Marxists, right, is is what I hear from a lot of social justice advocates. They, they don't like it. They bristle at it. Um, the, th the thing is, when, when social justice advocates call someone a racist and they're operating under this idea that, well, it's power and privilege and uh, benefiting from systems that allocate privilege and power, that's what a racist is. And you, you have power because of your white skin or something like that then they are playing with definitions. They're, um, you think they're meaning one thing, they're meaning something else. And uh, they're just, it, it, it's very, it's a subversive tactic meant to smear. Racism doesn't really mean much anymore. It's just a subversive, meant to smear. Neo-Marxism has an actual meaning and definition and those who use it generally, I mean, in, in my experience at least, I mean, the people who use it, myself included, are trying to be faithful to what it actually means. I'm thinking about the Frankfurt School. I'm thinking about Gramsci. I'm thinking about uh, what's come from them, which is the critical theories of today. It's it's neo-Marxism. So when I say someone's a neo-Marxist or is using neo-Marxism or has some neo-Marxist ideas or whatever, I'm not looking at them and saying that, well, they you know embody everything about Marxism. I'm saying that you're consistent with just like I'd call someone a Christian or a Muslim or you know something like that, I'm saying you, you have an ideology. We have to use labels somewhere along the line. We, we have to be able to communicate with one another and understand uh, categories and how, how to um, understand what someone's beliefs are. So the, one of the, the issues that we've had is that people who actually are neo-Marxists don't want to be labeled as neo-Marxists. So it's one of these situations where it's not, it's not a flamethrower word. It's really not. It is a very, it's a useful word that's meant to actually categorize an actual thing that you find in the wild. Neo-Marxists, they believe in categories that uh, of oppressor and oppressed, but not running along necessarily economic lines as much as cultural lines, uh, social lines. Um, so anyway, I, I just, I see a bent here. There's a social justice bent. Uh, here's another one. When people who were more involved in the social justice movement said social justice just is the gospel, Things got equally murky. These They were using language that is not uncommon within within their in-group. However, conservatives who are less attached to the social justice movement would never speak that way. There's a whole section here where basically the authors say 
you know what? Someone who says social justice just is the gospel, it's not like they're a heretic or false teacher. They're just using the language of their in-group. Um, no, that's false teaching. Social justice is not the gospel. They're, like, words have meanings. I don't understand how you can... Well, they're just using the language of their in-group. So there's kind of a defense. They're, they're at, while they're saying, well, you probably shouldn't use that language or, or maybe don't use it around conservatives or something, they're also basically trying to tell conservatives, like, look, you know, they're, they're just using the language of their in-group. That's all that is. No, I'm sorry. That's false teaching. The, the, this is something that this would take this to the New Testament. You, do you, can you see the apostles ever writing a book called Winsome Conviction? I can't. <laughs> Winsome Conviction. Uh, if someone said something as heretical as so, social justice just is the gospel, it would constitute a rebuke from the apostle Paul or Peter or whoever. Uh, that's, that's the effect of it. They, they wouldn't be, well, let me examine the language of their in-group and really just uh, try to understand what the groupthink dynamics going on here. No, they would say, okay, there's a language. This is what you're saying. And people who speak the language is what they're hearing. Um, this is wrong. And I don't, know, I don't know how else you, social justice is the gospel. How in the world, how else can you understand that in a non-heretical way? Uh, the gospel is about social justice somehow because people are getting saved and you know and it's the same thing as anti-racism and all the other things no as soon as you're doing that you're you're just you're watering down the entire gospel there's really and that's the best case scenario there's no way to say say that sentence without it being false teaching there's just no option so um, they give the benefit of the doubt to the social justice advocates uh, quite a bit in this book and there are other examples I could probably give as well so um so, so, so far we've just to review before we go on, cause there's a lot of moving parts in this. So far we've, we, we have a definition of convictions. Convictions are firmly held religious for more beliefs. Uh, they could be confessional beliefs or they could be guidelines. We've so far found that a lot of the social justice stuff, really it falls more into the guideline category, even the stuff that we would consider false teaching. Now, um, certain convictions aren't absolutes and some of these are very they're political things and the the goal seems to be to accept people who might be on the political left because that really the the vein of the book runs in that direction except christians who are leftward in their thinking uh, in fact i don't think i included it but there is an entire story in the book about this whole uh, during Bill Clinton, when he first won, I guess, there was a, a lament session, or well, it really wasn't even a lament session. It was just like a let's pray for the United States kind of thing. Uh, and in, in a way that was kind of, it was lamenting. It was just like, this, was, this is bad, what just happened. And the author brings it up twice in the book to basically rebuke people who would do that. Because don't you understand that there are Democrats who voted for Bill Clinton in your church? Like, it's, it's disrespectful to them. So that's, that's the, the sense you get from this book. Let me read for you some more uh, illustrating this. Um, here, here's a big chunk. Uh, it's, and I'm, I'm probably going to just summarize this. Um, we have heard entire discussions of the Christian faith and modern economics swept away by quoting the verse, thou shalt not steal. The implication drawn from the verse is that the government should not tax and redistribute money within the, an economy. So it, it talks about basically socialism is wrong. And then... Um, it says this, okay, so American free market capitalism is biblical and Western European market systems are socialist and contrary to scripture, but using the silver bullet blinds us to biblical passages that point in the opposite direction. So it's saying, hold on there. Socialism isn't necessarily wrong. There's Bible verses that could support it. What Bible verses are they? Well, glad you asked. 
Uh, Deuteronomy 14 is the only section they quote. Um, the, but they, they talk about the obligation to leave corners of one's own field uncut so that the poor can harvest them. By the way, I don't think there's ever an example in scripture uh, of this being actually enforced or a penalty for it. This is more of an act of charity that was commanded. Um, or the canceling of debt in the year of Jubilee. Or the mandatory tithe collected every third year to distribute to the poor and the disenfranchised. Um, Jubilee is not an example of socialism either. Uh, that's a little more complicated, but it's not. This isn't a big... Um, this, it, actually, Jubilee really favors more the idea of, uh, of, of private property and that property staying private. Uh, it's, it's, it's actually interesting. If you get into that, you could probably have some very interesting discussions about what this means for corporations today and that kind of thing, uh, that are overstepping so many of the things that we wish they, or so many of the liberties that we, we have, especially I'm thinking of like big tech companies. Uh, they are, they're just doing some very scary things. Um, you know, you wonder if, if that could apply to it. I'm not saying it does, and I'm not giving you any application. I'm just saying that, uh, specific application. I'm just saying that the year of Jubilee was more intended to keep private property private, keep keep it in one's own family, one's own region, that kind of thing. Um, so it, it, that's actually a mark against them, not for them. But uh, the other example given, or the mandatory tithe collected every third year to distribute to the poor and disenfranchised. Well, l- listen, here's the thing. Uh, there is when you you have to be very careful when you're looking at the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. There are things that are civil laws that you could look at principles and say they apply today. But there's also things that because you you have the ecclesia as well represented. So there are things that um, you have to think through. What's the New Testament teaching on this, and is it appropriate uh, for the church to be doing this, or is this something that the government is responsible for? And you are not going to find that there is this. That, that is the church that is responsible for, or I should say the government that is responsible for redistributing income to give to the poor. That is something that uh, the church would be responsible for um, uh, to, to some extent, uh, but not civil government. You're not going to find that in the New Testament. And and so um, th- this is confusing categories, and this is my whole issue with this whole thing. You have to start to draw some lines. You have to figure out uh, what... Is it a central authority forcing things, forcing everyone to do something? Is it a religious duty for people who are Christians? Is it something that is a voluntary, uh, charitable thing that someone does? If you get those right, then you're not going to have this problem. Socialism's only about one thing. It's not about charitably giving. It's not about your church doing something. It is about the mo- the state and a modern state at that, forcibly taking from one person and giving to another on the basis of uh, an alleged need that exists there and um, and, and doing so with ever more <laughs> with ever more high with percentages that are very high and um, in, in a totally communist state obviously ridding getting rid of private property this author would not see that as a problem necessarily there's nothing in here that would indicate that the author would would think that well that's something that Christians should divide over uh, yeah, if you have a communist in your church, um, then you know you can't use the "thou shalt not steal" against them because hold on, there's examples that this is just poor biblical interpretation right here. 
and, and he, the author goes on, there are so many passages of scripture that address the use and distribution of money, particularly in relation to poverty. That silver bulleting, an argument by using any single passage, no matter which way it points, is bound to oversimplify. Well, the issue is private property. Thou shall not steal is one of the verses on this, but um, but the issue is private property. Was it not yours? <laughs> Remember in the book of Acts, Ananias and Sapphira. Was it not yours before you sold it? It belonged to you. This is at the height of the church having everything in common. So private property is a principle you find in scripture. You find it in Jesus's parables. You find it from, from really the beginning. Uh, so there, there is a softened uh, approach to socialism here. This isn't something we should divide over. This is something that's kind of secondary, right? This is, and, and this is so palatable to crew right now. We can accept these people, right? They can be in crew. There's no problem with that. So here's my critique. I'm going to give you a couple things to think about. Instead of confessional beliefs and guidelines, talk about preferences, principles, and absolutes. Um, talk about words that have a lot more definition to them. Uh, words, words that we know more what they mean. We, we know what a preference is. And they're more firm, firm designations. It just helps communicate better. I think there's a lot of wiggle room in this. Either it's a confessional belief or it's a guideline. Uh, typically, we think of preferences, uh, things that um, are unique to us, things that we like, um, color blue, you know, things like that. Uh, principles. There are principles that, and, and by the way, principles you can have um, convictions based off of principles and people can have different convictions based off of them. We see that and that's the whole Romans 13, by the Romans um, 14 rather. By the way, I wanted to say a great uh, sermon on Romans 14 by R.C. Sproul called The Tyranny of the Weaker Brother. If you go to YouTube and type it in, The Tyranny of the Weaker Brother by R.C. Sproul and it really gets into that and it's a, it's a great sermon. Um, and then, you know, absolutes and some principles, you know, the principles are really based off of absolutes. So um, absolutes, it's always wrong to murder someone. It's always wrong to steal from someone. There's, there's certain things that are absolute and you can't do anything to change those. So this is, these are the categories that we should be using. The category confessional belief or it's a guideline really just, it, it makes the net so wide and you don't have valuable discussions about principles um, because downstream from a principle can be a very bad belief. Uh, you, you could have someone who says, oh, I don't believe in stealing, but I'm a socialist. Well, clearly there's there's something wrong with that. So wh where is it? Well, you have to go back to why, um, what actually socialism is, why they advocate it. They have to think through the implications of their belief. And that's going to bring you right back to principles of private property and what it means, what why God implemented that, why God allows for that, uh, ordains it really. Uh, what about a strong conviction? Here's, here's where this thing undercuts itself. This is my question. What about a strong conviction? What if someone has a strong conviction, right? Let's go back to the definition real quick so you can see this. Uh, if I can find it. Okay. Um, we do not believe that strong convictions cause incivility. We will dispute the claim that convictions are about absolutes. We do not believe all Christians will agree on matters of conviction. So here's my question. What about a strong conviction to divide over strong convictions? What do you do then? What if someone had that? What if that is their conviction? 
is that we should divide over strong convictions or that convictions are about absolutes. What if someone has that conviction, that convictions are about absolutes? Or what if there's, um, or that Christ, they believe that Christians should agree on matters of conviction. What do you do then? It, it really undercuts the entire premise of the book at that point. Uh, because it's all based off of what? Someone's convictions. So if someone's conviction is to care about conviction <laughs> and to divide over conviction, then you have, you have a problem. Um, and also, there's, there's, a, there's a false dichotomy in this. And this is a false dichotomy I hear all the time. Here's a quote from the book. The goal was to consider ways, this is about why they wrote the book. The goal was to consider ways we could share the Christian perspective, seen by many as argumentative and harsh, in a way that balanced truth-telling with love. Okay, balanced truth-telling with love? What, what does that mean? You don't, so, so we should speak the truth in love, but these are both factors that should be there when we speak. It's not like there's a scale and on one side is love, on the other side is truth and you gotta balance it. This is a, this is a, a, a problem and I, I hear this, either they're being very sloppy in the way they're communicating or they believe what a lot of Christians believe, which is like, yeah, let's turn the love up a little and turn the truth down some <laughs> or turn, turn that truth up a lot, turn that love down, depending on the situation. No, it's, they're, they're both there. They're not on a scale together. They're, they're different things. And so um, I just, oftentimes this is used to soften a message, to soften truth by saying, well, I'm just trying to be loving. All right, here's another one. Overall, uh, I believe it's man-centered and it's because of their guiding limitation. And what I mean by that is the, the thing that guides people as to whether or not they should divide with someone is really based on people themselves, especially preference. Let me give you some examples. Here's a quote from page 46. Joining together for a season of lament assumes an agreement on political issues that is probably not in reality. This is what I was talking about earlier. Let's let's lament in our Bible study that look, Bill Clinton just got elected. Or you could use, this, that's the example he uses. So joining together for a season of lament assumes an agreement on political issues that is probably not reality. Don't do this in a Bible study. That's what he's saying. The, the authors are saying. Instead, seek to identify beliefs and mandates that would be affirmed by all. Now, what's something that would be affirmed by all? They give the example of opposition to racism. So, we should be able to oppose racism in, in Bible study, right? Because everyone agrees with that. Um, but, you know, lamenting over Bill Clinton getting elected, no, don't use that because there's some people who would probably disagree with it and you're making them feel uncomfortable. What's the guiding limitation? It's how people feel. This puts unanimous preference in the privileged position instead of principle. So you're not making your decisions based on principles. Um, you're making them based off of, well, what does everyone think? And that's my main issue with why not use the word principle, preference, principle, absolutes, instead of confessional beliefs and guidelines. Principles, so much of wisdom is <laughs> based off of how do you make decisions in the real world by applying principles correctly. That's how we should be thinking. How do we apply the principles we've learned? We got to use our brain. We got to rightly divide the word of truth. We got to be, um, we, we have to be the Bereans. We have to put some work into it, right? There's nothing wrong with that. That's what we're, that's what's expected of us. Dig in deep. Be men and women of understanding. Understand what does God want? What, can we look at one situation that's a parallel and then apply it to a situation we have today? We, we have what we need uh, to, to understand how the church should operate. It's in the word. We have it. It's there. So there's, 
we, we can navigate these things and we can find the principles we need to navigate them. But that category isn't really present in the book. And that's part of the problem with this book because then you start thinking, well, I guess I can't really you know, oppose that evil necessarily that you I see in front of me because that's not really a confessional belief. So racism, so you see, here's the thing. What if you have a racist in the group? <laughs> well, what, what then? You know, maybe you shouldn't lament racism in your group because you know, might have someone who's a racist. I mean, that's, you're just assuming, well, everyone agrees on that one. So, so, so this is just, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of dumb to be honest with you, to, to make your decision based off of that. Um, in fact, if there's people, this would be a good opportunity in my mind. If you're, if you're a Bible study leader, right? And I've been in this position and you want to, uh, you want to pray and you want to say, Lord, someone who is evil was elected or some, someone who, uh, is going to push some bad things was just elected or that, you know, this means something bad for our country. You have the opportunity in that situation to explain what you mean by it. And someone who might be ignorant of that, they, they get to hear your explanation. If they don't like it enough, they, and they want to leave and divide over it, that's up to them. But, um, if you're, if you're faithfully working off of principles in the word of God, and you're, you're doing your best to, to apply those. You have to be able to identify, to apply these things in the real world. Um, you have to be able to judge character and, and, and all of these things. Uh, in fact, I, I mean, I, look, oh, John, well, you like Trump. Well, no, I think there's plenty of reason to uh, lament, if you would, over some of Trump's character issues that someone like this made it to the white house. And he was one of the, the, he was the, between the two, the better option. I mean, that's really, really sad. If, if, if you're thinking of the two major candidates, that's a really sad thing. I don't see that there's a problem there. So no, this isn't a pro Trump or anything. It has nothing to do with that. I'm just saying that the, the direction of our concern should be towards what does the Bible say? What are the principles there? Um, what's right and wrong? What does God think? Instead of asking the question, well, what are the people in this room? What do they all think? Are they all in agreement on me with me on this? See, it's putting the people in the driver's seat here. Um, here's another quote. Until we can state each other's opinions in a matter recognizable to our opponents, we have not accurately confirmed whether we have a real conflict or a misunderstanding. Okay, this isn't true in all circumstances, guys. It may be true in some circumstances, and that it's not a bad thing to try to figure out uh, what someone actually believes. It's actually very respectful often. All right. You said this. Am I understanding you correctly? Let me repeat back what you said. Perfectly good, perfectly legitimate, perfectly fine. However, we don't see this being done in the Bible all the time at all. In fact, we don't see it that often. I'm trying to even think of an example of it. I'm sure there probably is one, but oftentimes what you find is false teaching goes out there in the, in the case of false teaching and you, and, and the, 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 the apostles, uh, see the false teaching for what it is and they condemn it and they go after the person propagating it right there on the spot. Jesus did it in front of the Pharisees even at times. So this is something that he, he's not going back and forth. Hey, you know, when you said that, what did you mean? No, when you understand what the person meant, when the people around you, when, when you, when you get it, then you, you, you don't mince words. You condemn, you protect the sheep against these things. What the game I often see played is, Okay, when you said, you know, systemic racism or uh, that you believe in white privilege and all that, you know, what, you know, I'll show you the quote here for those who are watching. Um, when, when you said all that and, you, you know, are you 
are you saying you agree with critical race theory? And then you get into this whole thing. No, I, and, and oftentimes subversive Marxists will never allow you to think that you've accurately portrayed them or understand what they believe. I've just, I've just seen this a lot. Um, you can never quite, it's like nailing jello to a wall. I remember I had a phone call, I remember, and uh, <laughs> it was, it was a, this is an example of the kind of thing I'm talking about. It was with Danny Aiken. It was a few years ago, 45 minute phone call or so. And I remember the, the whole conversation was just circle after circle after circle. You know, I have in front of me, okay, this is what your professor, Matt Mullen said. He said this about adopting, uh, adopting kids who aren't white and that white people shouldn't do that. Well, he didn't really. And the whole conversation, it wasn't just about that. There were a number of situations. The whole conversation just went in circles. There was no way. And no matter what I said, I was always misunderstanding. I was always misrepresenting. I was always lying somehow, but I never knew how. They, they could not accurately explain to me what I had done. Dr. A couldn't, couldn't no one else there seemed to be able to t tell me what, what I had misrepresented. I'm literally quoting people, quoting Walter Strickland and what he believes. Um, this is the kind of thing I've seen. And, and this kind of quote that, well, until you can state another person's opinions in a matter recognizable to the opponent, then you haven't confirmed whether they have, you have a real conflict or a misunderstanding. That's the kind of thing they would love to hide behind. You know, we're not granting you the ability to think that you've understood us. And, and this for, for any kind of Gnostic, for any kind of um, so, someone who thinks they have knowledge that's so far beyond you, this won't work. So you need to be able to just say, you know what, this is what you said. I've tried to confirm it perhaps, but I, I heard the words that I heard. And I'm going to, you know, if, if you want to correct me, correct me, but it's got to be an actual correction. It can't be just you don't understand. I don't. I don't give you the power to correct me because you are beneath me or something like that. It's that's that's not going to work. Um, and so I just see that as a potential problem with this thinking. And then um, this does not work for postmodernists. Oh, the, I I wrote my critique <laughs> or subversive Marxists, and it is not modeled in the New Testament when pertaining to false teaching. We do not make a false teacher the arbiter of whether his teaching is false. So here, those are some of my critiques. Um, also, here's another one, muddy definition. Um, here's one, and, and I'm, I'm actually not even gonna read this. Let me just tell you that basically the, author arg the authors argue this. Everyone's got different ministries they're part of. Some people like disability ministry, some people like youth ministry. They all, there's all sorts of different ministries. Therefore, these ministries are all convictions. They're different convictions, all these preferences for certain ministries and involving oneself in them. So um, we're, we're better together if we all work towards our ministries in the church. So spiritual gifts or ministries that you're involved with, if you just stay in your lane, you're doing that ministry, that, the, those ministries to the glory of God, we can all work together and do the best for God and be a team that's powerful. And that's why we can all work together and have different convictions. Except for this. Let me ask you this. Remember the definition of conviction. Confessional beliefs, guidelines. Those are the two categories. How does this fit into that? Is a ministry preference a confessional belief? No. Is a ministry preference a guideline? Not really. It's, it's just a preference that one has. It's not a guideline that stands over a group of people or, or everyone. It's, it's not absolute. Or like in the, It's not a piece of wisdom that everyone needs to take to heart necessarily. It's just a preference. It's just the way God's equipped or gifted someone. 
So I this is it, it this is outside of the definition given in the book for what a conviction is. And yet this is the main argument at the end for why different convictions are good within the church. So this is just really muddy. This is not a well-written book. And that's that's my last slide, I guess. So that's the end of the critique. So um my thoughts on winsome conviction. There's some there are some good things in there that I are helpful, I think, where you can kind of I mean, they're just so basic in my mind that I, I wouldn't, I don't think the book is worth it getting it. It's just like trying to separate um, preferences from things that are actual and they're what they say is confessional beliefs. That's, that's a helpful thing. But it would be more helpful probably if you just honestly read Romans 14, listen to the R.C. Sproul sermon on the tyranny of the weaker brother, and, and then just try to be nice to people as much as you possibly can, but be absolutely unmoved uh, and uh, aggressive even if when you need to be when it comes to false teaching if you need to be uh, stand against it the way take as your example the the scriptures that we have on false teaching I mean Paul's pretty harsh sometimes there's I, I don't know if you realize it but look Paul said look I, I hope that some of these Judaizers go all the way in their circumcision uh, he wasn't playing around you know, Elijah on Mount Carmel wasn't playing around. Jesus with the Pharisees. Um, I mean, woe to you and all the woes that he gives them. I mean, he really beats them up. It, so it's just, are they being winsome? I mean, that, that wasn't winsome conviction, I guess. I don't know. I mean, it certainly seems out of step with this book. So I'd go with Jesus. I'd go with the apostles. I would ignore this book if I were you. And I'm not saying there's nothing to glean, but it just in general, not worth your time. This is not going to work in crew, by the way. And this is my main point, and then I'll end the episode because we're over 50 minutes. Crew um, has a diametrically opposed, they have diametrically opposed positions and people lining up on both sides. And until they ask the question, is critical race theory and social justice and all of that, until they ask the question, are those things in conflict with Christianity and in conflict in such a way that they it they they overturn the convictions of Christianity, the principles of Christianity, the core teachings, these kinds of things. Until they actually ask that question and answer that question and come to grips with it, there's going to be no peace. It'll be people shouting peace, peace when there is no peace. You cannot categorize this fight as a secondary issue. It's not going to happen. You're talking about absolute truth uh, versus subjectivity. You're talking about um, Marxism and and egalitarian equality versus equality before the law. Uh, you're talking about playing fast and loose with um, the definition of justice and forgiveness and things that are really core to the gospel. Um, you're talking about adding laws to the gospel, social justice teachings, by creating a new gospel based off of those. Uh, you're talking about... Um, thinking ideologically and pu pushing everything through a narrow scope of uh, power relationships or oppression or something like that and not viewing the world through the full spectrum of everything that God has made it to be. You're, there's so many things that you're, you can't just like wipe that away with, well, that's just a secondary issue. It's not going to happen. So that's my prediction. And I know a lot of people are invested in making that happen, and they want the money to keep flowing. But honestly, guys, the money can't keep flowing if, if that's the, the situation. And I would encourage you, again, if you're involved in any way, shape, or form with crew, giving them money, especially, I would, I would give them a call. Here it is again, the email, uh, where to find the email addresses, the phone number, and the letter uh, that, or the address you can write a letter to right here. 
And uh, for those in crew who might be confused about this and want to answer that question, how do we figure out whether Christianity and social justice are in conflict or not? You can go to ChristianityAndSocialJustice.com. That's ChristianityAndSocialJustice.com. And I'm very pleased, by the way, uh, I was just noticing, uh, maybe I can pull it up right now as I'm doing this, uh, that it's, uh, it's, it's doing pretty well. Um, for, for a guy, I was thinking about this. Some of the other books that are on this topic uh, are, um, they have big names behind them. They have, you know, I, I have not paid one penny for advertising, not one. And I'm not paying Facebook. I've seen some of these other, by the way, it's the most ironic thing to me. <laughs> People who have written books against social justice in Christianity, paying Facebook to advertise it for them. It's not a sin. I'm not saying it's wrong necessarily. I'm just saying it just seems out of step with what you're aren't like, isn't Facebook like one of the biggest advocates of social justice? And, you know, I'm, I have a Facebook account. I'm not saying it's wrong to be on Facebook. It's a tool, but to give them money, I just, I can't in my own, this is my conscience. Okay. It's just my conscience. So I'm saying I couldn't do it. So I haven't paid anything. Um, I did reach out to, I think it was Gab or one of these alternative social media websites and said, Hey, I'm interested in maybe working a deal here. I haven't heard anything, but um, all that to say, Christianity, social justice, religions, and conflict on Amazon. Uh, it is number one on the new releases in religious studies, church and state. Number one, that's the Kindle edition. And then if I, let's see, if I look at number 10 in, uh, let's see, no, I said it's number one in religious studies, church and state. Uh, it is number 15 in social issues in Christianity. And then the paperback version is, if it'll come up here, it came up on my phone. It doesn't seem to want to come up for some reason on on my browser. I don't know why, but it, it was doing fairly, fairly decent. And so uh, I would just encourage you, please, um, if you have the book, if you like the book, please review the book on Amazon. Even if you didn't purchase it from Amazon, if you purchase it from me, go to Amazon, review the book, even if it's just like, hey, I like this book. Uh, it does help from what I understand, the algorithms and all that. So uh, thank you for your support. God bless all of you and more coming, Lord willing, later this week. And uh, looking forward to it. Bye now. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about.
As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.